Welcome to season seven of Jesus Has Left the Building. We'll hear from guests all over the country who've been engaging in creative, bold, and fluid, outside the box, I mean, outside the church building practices that have inspired us. Our topic of discussion has emerged out of intersectional feminism, leaning into feminist and womanist practices born out of the stories of women, ancient and modern, and are practiced by and include all people as we ritualize relationship. This is the Jesus Has Left the Building podcast, where ministers, womanists, feminists, activists, scholars, authors, and liturgy makers have left the building too, with Marta and Mandy. In this first episode, Dismantling PMS, we hear from Dr. Irie Session. Dr. Irie is the pastor of The Gathering, a womanist church, the CEO of Dream Big Coaching and Consulting, and the author of The Gathering, a Womanist Church, Origin Stories, Sermons, and Litanies, Badass Women of the Bible, Inspiration from Biblical Women Who Challenged and Subverted Patriarchy, and Murdered Souls, Resurrected Lives, Postmodern Womanist Thought in Ministry, with women prostituted and marginalized by commercial sexual exploitation. Dr. Irie shares the story of the womanist church she started, the difference between the meaning of womanist and feminist, and bits and pieces of liturgy that you're going to want to practice. You can get connected with Dr. Irie through her website, www.dririe.com. You can also find her on Facebook, Twitter, and Vimeo. Be sure to follow us, Jesus Has Left the Building, on Facebook to get linked to all things Dr. Irie. Dr. Irie, we are so glad that you are with us today and telling your story and showing up in this space. More than anything, we want to create spaces for people to tell their story and their innovative work in the world. And, you know, in the same way that we have this podcast, Jesus has left the building, doesn't necessarily mean mean meaning the building, but it sort of means doing this really creative and interesting work within the structure of the church sometimes. And so we would like you to tell us a little about your work in the world and what it means to you to lift up voices that have not been centered in your context. Yeah, well, thank you so much, uh, Marta. Am I saying your name correctly, Marta? 100%, and it's like really impressive that you got that on the first time. (laughs) Well, yes, thank you so much for this invitation. And I absolutely love the title of your podcast, Jesus Has Left the Building. Uh, I take that both literally and figuratively. Amen. And I believe that um, Jesus did indeed leave the building, right? His ministry, when we really read and study uh, Jesus' life and ministry was was outside, right? Was on a mountain, was by the sea, was in people's houses, was by, you know, in a garden, right? It, it It was not in a physical material structure all the time and and it, even when it was in a structure he was disrupting stuff within the Absolutely. structure right? um, turning over those tables so, 
Well, and 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 allowing um, a woman, a bent over woman, to be yes. a showstopper, right? To, yes. to, to disrupt the the service, the teaching, and he tended to her and her needs, right? Right there, just stopped everything, and so um, that is kind of how I see my life and my ministry in terms of being a disruptor, um, and 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 speaking on issues that cause often people to feel uncomfortable, um, but they are the they are the primary, they are the 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 foundation, these these kinds of issues of what people are wrestling with in the world and why they come and why they seek spiritual nurture and why they seek a faith community because, um, circumstances and situations have occurred in their lives where often they have been marginalized or silenced. Um, and so they come looking for um, a way to reclaim their narratives and reclaim their stories and reclaim their voice. And, and I happen to have been one of those people as well, right? So um, so as a, as a womanist practitioner, as a womanist preacher, and pastor, um, it's very important to me that um, because of what it means to be a womanist, right? One of the um, one of the tenets of womanism is something called traditional communalism, right? Mm -hmm. And so, uh, and what that what that means is that womanists are concerned about um, the survival and thriving and wholeness and wellness of entire people not just women, right? So we, we obviously, we center the stories and the narratives and the experiences of black women. Um, but when we do that, I'm, I'm not sure if you all are familiar with the Kombahi uh, River Collective. Um, it no. was, uh, you really want to, you really want to get that and read that. You can just Google Kombahi, C-O-M-B-A-H-E-E, -E, uh, River Collective. And it is a, um, it is a treaty almost of black feminists in the, I think the 1970s. And one of the things that they say in there is, and I'm gonna paraphrase it, is when black women are liberated, that would mean that, that everybody else gets liberated because in order for black women phrase. to be liberated, in order for black women to be liberated, that means that every oppressive structure, right? When you think of sexism, when you think of racism, when you think of um, economic exploitation, every system would have to be healed and restored. And so everyone benefits. And so when, when we as womanists uh, pull on or live into the notion of traditional communalism, we are wanting to, to turn as, uh, Sojourner Truth said, the world right side up. So it benefits everybody. So yes. every, so there's equity, you know, not just equality, right? But equity. Um, that's the and goal. So, that's the beloved yeah, community. Absolutely. That That is where we strive to be. Now for our listeners out there, can you really quickly um, just define womanist um, versus feminist? I know it's super simple, but I just want it, I just want to put it out there for those people who are listening and they're like, what's the difference? What is a womanist versus a feminist? And there is a big difference. So I'd love for you to speak into that a little bit. Well, 
you know, when when feminism was coming on the scene or first on the scene or however, you know, it became what it is, it was basically concerned about rights for women, right? And, but those women were white women, right? Yes. Because what, they, what feminism wasn't doing was speaking to the intersectional uh, experiences of all women, right? Which means that black women have a particular um, way of being and a way of being oppressed in the world that is based on race. Um, and that so- That is way different than white women. Uh, well, uh, well, absolutely, right? Um, because white women have the issue around sex and gender, which all women do, but they don't have the, the racial oppression, the racial um, discrimination. Um, they, they don't have a history of being enslaved because of the color of their skin, which bears itself out in so many other ways, right? And so, so that was a major, and not only did feminism not address that, right, but neither did um, black theology mm, or black liberation yes. movement, yes. It, you know, it dealt with the race piece, right? But it did not deal with the um, the gender piece of black women, the, the black women, right. the oppression of black women, right? And so, uh, and so, in the uh, in the in the early seventies, you had um, women like um, Dolores Williams and uh, Katie Cannon and. Um, and others who were students at uh, Union Theological Seminary in New York. And uh, they were under uh, the tutelage of Dr. James Cone, who was who we would consider in the black church, the father of black liberation theology. And so they confronted him, right? About that you're not, uh, this is fine, but you're leaving like whole populations out. You're leaving the, the, the sisters out. Um, and so um, they, um, had as you know some of their coursework, some of their readings, uh, a book by Alice Walker, In Search of Our Mother's Garden, mm, yes. where Walker um, articulates this idea of womanism and, and what it is. And she kind of gives a definition of it, right? And they're like kind of four parts to that definition. Um, but, it, uh, but it very clearly, and maybe we'll talk as we move on to some pieces of that, but I would say a major difference between womanism and feminism is the, the dealing with the, the racial aspect which impacts black women in a way, in a very nuanced way, in a very deep way. Um, one of the parts of her definitions say that womanism is to feminism as purple is to lavender, yes. right? And mm -hmm. so she articulates feminism as lavender and womanism as purple, right? So there is this deeper sense of, of, of oppression and this deeper sense of, uh, of, of issues that need to be addressed and brought to the fore that womanism speaks to that feminism did not. And, and even, yes. you know, even now in some ways still does not, right? The, right, uh, well, it's taking us a lot of work. <laughs> absolutely, to, to absolutely. acknowledge it and have you come on to spaces like this to actually talk about it. Before we go on, I just want to make sure at some point that you do um, dive into um, the gathering. 
Well, well, the gathering is, as you've already articulated, uh, a womanish church of the Christian Church Disciples of Christ. So we are still, we're a part of our denomination. One of the things that I really appreciate about the Christian Church Disciples of Christ is that each congregation is autonomous, right? And so five years ago, myself and two other Black women who are self-identified as womanists, um, because we were, there were some things happening in our own lives where we had sort of disconnected from traditional church. I had pastored a, a few other disciples' churches. Um, and uh, and I, I think uh, it just wasn't a good fit. I'll just say it like that um, because of the kind of uh, a preacher and minister that I believe I'm called to be um, that, is, that is pretty prophetic, right? Uh, and, um, and, and so there was a lot of pain involved with all three of us in these religious spaces. And so we were pretty much done, you know, with, with institutional church and, um, and through a series of, through a series of, of events, um, we, we, we had a, what we called a womanist seven last words, right? Now in the black church, on Good Friday, all across this nation, Black churches will have what they call, we call a seven last words service. So you'll have seven preachers preaching the seven last sayings of Jesus, right? And in the Dallas area, there was never at that point, and this was, I'm thinking about seven years ago, there had never been a, a woman is seven last words service on Good Friday that featured all Black women. And so uh, I had this idea to let's go ahead and do that. Let's try that. So we, we got seven womanist preachers together and we um, had a church to open up its space and uh, give us the opportunity to have seven women preach for seven minutes, the seven last sayings of Jesus. And after it was over, we and the place was packed with a diverse group of people. It was a white congregation, an open and affirming congregation. Uh, there were a, a, a variety of people who had come and the place was packed out. And then after it was over, we kept hearing, when can we hear some more of this kind of preaching? And um, we were like, I, I don't know what to tell you in this area. And uh, for about the next six months, we kept we kept getting that kind of feedback, right? And then the my co-pastor, Reverend Camila Hall Sharp, her husband had already been whispering in our ear, right? Like, like telling me, why don't you go be Moses, right? And, and plant a church. And, and I, I was like, no, nah, nah, I'm not interested in doing that. But after continuing to hear from people, we, we, we got together and we decided, well, why don't we uh, you know, create a, a space where we could preach um, maybe once a month and just give people in the Dallas area an opportunity to hear and experience womanist preaching. Well, we did that and we, we secured um, a church space. Uh, uh, we asked for permanent nesting space. We put a call out because we weren't interested in doing things status quo. We weren't interested in having a mortgage. We weren't, we weren't even calling ourselves a church actually. Um, and so we, we got some permanent nesting space. We started meeting and after about two months, the, the people that were gathering because they kept coming they kept coming. And each week we gathered, we were like, well, is this going to be the day that no one shows up? But that has never happened, right? 
Um, and so we formalized and became a church and became and decided to become a womanist church because we wanted to create a safe space for all people. And we wanted to center the preaching and the theological interrogation of the text through a womanist lens. And so uh, we became at that point a womanist church. And, uh, and we have a uh, we have co-pastors. Right now, there are two of us, myself and Reverend Camila Harshar. We are co-pastors. People often ask, well, who's the senior pastor? We don't have one. We, so, so there's this non-hierarchical form of leadership that we feel and we know is good for us, but it's also pushing back against right, the, this, this culture of hierarchy. Right, which is characterized by traditional church, right? And so, uh, and, and there are many other nuances, things that we do differently. One of the other uh, components of our experience is first of all, we have a one hour worship service on Saturday nights from six to seven. And after every sermon, we have what's called talk back to the text, which is a very womanist approach to. Uh, thinking and, and speaking theologically, right? So we give the congregation, whether it's online or whether it's in person, because from day one, five years ago, we live streamed our services. Uh, it, just as an aside, so when COVID came, we had no issues. We just did, we just pivoted, right, very smoothly because we had already kind of um, understood uh, and seen where our world was going in terms of digital ministry. Um, but talk back to the text gives people opportunity to ask questions about what they heard. It gives them an opportunity to interrogate the text and to interrogate the preacher, right? And for us as preachers, it gives us an opportunity to hear what the people are thinking, right? To, to hear what they might be wrestling with or struggling with, right? And it's a way of building community. Uh, and so that's the gathering uh, in a nutshell. We are very um, social justice um, um, minded. Um, we, we have uh, missional and ministry priorities of racial equity, LGBTQIA plus equality and dismantling what we call PMS, patriarchy, misogyny and sexism, right? So that kind of undergirds um, everything that we do. And we believe that Jesus is pleased with, those, with that mission. Right, we believe that if Jesus was here, and in fact, um, in our uh, preface of our book, Dr. Frederick Douglass Haynes III, who was a pastor here in Dallas, said he thinks that if Jesus was here, he'd he'd be coming to the gathering, and so I'd like to think that as well. So that's 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 the gathering. Yeah, no, that's great. There's a a couple of those practices that you do that I'm really um, exploring at this point. It is the non-hierarchy. It is the talk back to the text um, and kind of taking preaching into a different modality than probably what we were taught in the institution. Um, and just the idea of co-pastoring. Um, I love that all. And, you know, I'm at the point of figuring out how to do that from inside the institution out. Um, I don't know if that's actually possible. You created a new start, which so you were able to form your own ideas yeah. and 
structures around that ideology. And so those are some yeah. of the things I'm really playing with at this point. But I but let me tell you it. what I also what I also do, Marta, when I go, because I often get invited to go to other places to preach, right? And I, I ask permission, like, this is what we do at the gathering. After my sermon, we have talk back to the text. Would you mind if we do talk back to the text? Folks, they love it. It takes them a, a while to get used to having the freedom to ask questions, not only the freedom, but to, to, to gather their mind to the point where they can think critically about what they heard. 100%. Um, yeah, and, and because- It's hard. What, what have we done? We have just sat there and kind of opened up our brain and let people pour stuff into our brain. It's and the just patriarchy. Mindless. Yes. And so we don't, you know, I was teaching a, a class at Perkins and uh, uh, we were talking about this idea of, of asking questions. And the students, many of the students were young white women. We, we, we don't even, how do you, we don't even know, like, is it okay to ask questions, right? Because the socialization, and you're right, the patriarchy says, I said it you know, as, a, as the male preacher, and that's the way it is. You don't ask any questions because you don't even question the Bible, right? You right. don't even question. Uh, and so so it takes people a, a minute to get used to that freedom uh, to ask questions that may even seem kind of heretical even, right? Uh, but it's all in the approach and it's all in the way that the preacher handles those questions. Mm -hmm. Um, I think you've actually answered this next question a little bit. It's this idea of, you know, um, one of the things Marta and I have really been talking about lately is, um, you know, we have this deep commitment to flattening the structures um, of the church. And this, you know, there's this concept, which you kind of talked about a little bit that like, because I'm the pastor, generally speaking, you know, this white man, I have all the wisdom, I have all the knowledge, I have all the experience, and you need to just listen to me, and I'm going to tell you that. And Marta and I both know that, um, I don't know if it's because we're not men or what, but we don't actually know everything. Um, yeah. and, and like, you know, some, there's, uh, you know, some real humility in that as well as I joke, yes. but like, um, this idea that, you know, you as the as the founder of the gathering as um you know you are actually highly educated you are well experienced you are well qualified and all of that so i'm really interested to see to hear how you um you know you have that inherent power right um how what do you do to hand that over? Like, what are some practices that you use to be able to flatten that in really like practical ways? Now, are you speaking in terms of the co-pastor relationship or are you speaking in terms of the congregation? I mean, I think both. I'm thinking primarily in terms of the congregation, but I'd love to hear okay. both actually, yeah. Okay. Uh, well, so let's talk about the congregation. One of the things that we do, first of all, we don't call uh, the people that come to our services or that do ministry with us, we don't call them members. We use language of ministry partners. So that mm. is what you see on everything. So when they initially come, we we're using this partner language, right? Which is not about hierarchy, even right. though, obviously, clearly, 
we are the pastors, as you said, we are the, we, we founded the, the, the community, etc. That was our role, but we don't, and, and we operate, Mandy, with this knowledge that we don't have all the answers, that we had a particular and have a particular role, a particular mm -hmm. mission and purpose as preachers and pastors of these beautiful people, but we don't have all of the answers. We don't have all of the strategy. We don't, we don't. And so every year when it, okay, so with their ministry partners. So what that communicates to them right off the bat is you're a part of this, that we, none of this can happen without you, without your voice, without your input, without your suggestions, right? Um, and then we continue to nurture that. We continue to remind them through different um, things that come up. For example, we, we had um, a, a mother and daughter who became ministry partners. And for like the first two or three years, when they would refer to the work of the church that we were doing, they would say, y'all. Mm, mm -hmm. And not we. Mm -hmm. right? mm -hmm. So we would mm -hmm. we would we would help, we would check them on that language and remind no 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 this is us this is our this is we right so it's it's helping it's giving correctives it's helping them even with and the that's language so simple that's so simple and it's also so hard to remember is to continually mm -hmm. say we and us over and over and over again yes uh, but our ears are attuned to that right. Um, because we believe in partnerships so heavily. Um, and then Reverend Camila and I, we model it before them. We, um, we just, we have a high level of respect for each other. Um, and we see the differences. For example, I know y'all won't believe this. I'm actually an introvert. Yeah. Um, no, I really am. And Camila is the extrovert. And so as an introvert, they're like, after I preach or after service is over, I'm not the one to be, you know, around everybody, right? Uh, but she is. And so we, we have learned each other. We respect other. We appreciate each other. And the congregation sees that. Mm -hmm. They see us living that out. We take care of each other. Um, we remind each other to take care of ourselves and we remind the congregation about self-care and taking care of themselves. And so there's a, there's a bit of a nurturing aspect to it. Um, but, uh, but I think it's, it, it, it has to do the, with the language that we use. I think that's the first place um, that I would begin it, uh, is, is with the language and how you refer to your people and to your congregation. For us, the language of ministry partnership was crucial. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. you, ha you have been unbelievably helpful and your story is fabulous and we didn't even touch on you as an author and all of the books you've written and we haven't even touched on you as a coach and your uh, dream big um, uh, coaching, coaching. 
Yes, yeah. we okay. haven't even yeah. we haven't even touched on that, but we're gonna like put it out there to the world like nobody's business. And um, we are titling this season "Ritualizing Relationships." Um, but I don't even think I need to go into that because everything you said in this moment, starting off with the bent over woman, um, spoke into that place of relationality, and yeah. in that place is where people grow and learn the best. And so I want to. I am so grateful. Like this was thank you. This was thank awesome. you so much. Thank you for yes. this invitation to share. If we're in Dallas, we're gonna come visit you. You better watch I, I out. Hope so. <laughs> I mean, I I I almost feel like I need to come to just like part of my research to experience well, and, it and be there with that with you. Yeah, and because we're online. Right. Um, you can just go to our website, um, www.thegatheringexperience.com and um, click on GWTV every Saturday night at 6 p.m. Central Standard Time. Our services are there. And then we share them through our Facebook, uh, Facebook and YouTube. Um, so, yeah. So you can watch us online. We okay. also have an app. We also have an app that can be downloaded. Uh, on oh. Apple or Google Play. You just do a search on The Gathering Womanist Church and you can download our app. Oh, that's so That's great. amazing. Yeah, I love I that. I want an app. <laughs> Thank you, Dr. Irie. You're welcome. Thank you so much. Join us next week for episode two of season seven, Working Within the Fragments with Dr. Christina lazardi Hatchby, professor at ILIF School of Theology. If you like what you heard, please give the podcast a five-star rating and review. Also consider supporting the podcast at patreon.com backslash JHLTV. This podcast is made possible by the Rocky Mountain Conference of the United Church of Christ Tributary Fund. Find us on Facebook and Instagram and message us to learn how you can be part of this effort to tell stories, have conversations, build relationships, and follow Jesus out of the church and into the world. <laughs>